Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched The Disaster Artist, directed by James Franco and released in 2017. The plot of The Disaster Artist goes something like this. Tommy Wiseau tries to make it in Hollywood by writing, directing, starring in, and producing The Room. Yeah, so this is James Franco's big movie about Tommy Wiseau's big movie. So we're going to do a little uh, spoiler-free section at the beginning of the podcast just to see, Melissa, should people watch this movie? Yes. And before I go any further, stay to the very end. There is a post credit sequence that no one else in our cinema saw and it is worth staying for. It's not just worth staying for. That, to me, like kind of blew my mind a little bit. Now, um, I have seen The Room. Melissa has not. No. Um, I saw it at a screening a couple of weeks ago. I'd never seen it in full before that. For some reason, I thought it was in black and white, even though I've seen, I had seen parts of it before I saw the movie. <laughs> I don't know why. But, um, yeah, I saw it in like as at one of the cult screenings where mm. people threw things and yelled things and stuff. And it was a good time. If you have seen The Room, this is basically a necessity for you to see this mm. movie. You have to see this movie if you've seen The Room. If you haven't seen The Room, I still think you should see The Disaster Artist. I mean, this has been a really good year for movies, but this is definitely a standout. This is the culmination of the James Franco, Seth Rogen oeuvre of films. Like we've watched, we watched Pineapple Express years and years ago and we both pissed ourselves laughing. We just Mm. loved it so much. But this is, it feels like this is a movie James Franco was meant to make. Yeah, it's interesting how... Um, it kind of the James Franco experience of making the disaster artist lines up with the Tommy Wiseau experience of making the room. Mm, um, and, and it's it, it actually, I think the strength of it is that it doesn't treat Tommy like a joke. Like Tommy's pretty awful in some ways. He's horribly misogynistic mm. um, based on just his plot of his movie and other things. And he's a nightmare to know and work with. But the, it treats him as a person who was taking this seriously, which he was. Mm. And so it actually kind of imbues the whole thing with, like it's not just sitting there standing ironically detached. And probably also James Franco, given his career and life and the way he approaches things, probably I think felt that sort of connection of being very serious and, and earnest about your art. Here's what this movie is to me. This movie is everyone in Hollywood making fun of their greatest fear, which is that they are Tommy Wiseau. Mm. Everybody is afraid that they are Tommy Wiseau, and this is the movie going, this is the guy. Mm. Here is the real thing that you're all afraid that you are. And that's where all this kind of connection comes from and Mm. this humanity that he's imbued with is that everybody feels like they are him sometimes, but he is him all the time. He is the failed artist with no self-awareness. He is that. It's kind of fascinating. It's it's not just kind of fascinating. It is. It is fascinating. fascinating. And, and like his whole story, the nobody knows where he's from, even though he speaks with a thick Eastern European accent. Nobody knows how old he is, mm. even though he appears to be about forty five in the room, which was made fifteen years but ago. The problem with that is the um, and I didn't know about the accident thing. Well, this but, is probably uh, getting into spoiler things, but you just can't tell. Like he yeah. could be younger or older than that. Be, his face has been changed, and he's yeah. He's he looks so strange, he want to talk about- and his body looks different to what his face looks like. 
there's just it's very hard to tell right oh so yeah no he did say he had an accident that does cast things in different light but you, there's no you don't know how old he is you don't know where his money comes from that paid for all this like this was a six million dollar film that he entirely self-financed yep and still had money left over yeah well not just yeah and like he still lived a pretty nice life as well as financing this film it's, it's, it's a mystery and it's fascinating i'm not surprised this was made and yes you should he- definitely see this this is so fun He's like a fever dream of Hollywood has created him out of nowhere or like he's an alien that watched a bunch of Hollywood movies and then came down to Earth to try his hand at it. Yeah, he's from Planet Tommy. He's not – It. yeah, he is uh, an enigma Mm. (laughs) of a person. But anyway, we should probably get into the spoiler section. Yeah, so um, if you haven't seen The Disaster Artist and we really do encourage you to go and see it, I would pause the podcast now – and we're going to start talking about spoilers. Yeah. I mean, spoilers in this movie, I suppose, are a bit – it's it's not really about the spoilers, is it? There's right. not really any twists or And it should be clear surprises. that we'll spoil the room and this movie will spoil the room if you uh, do care about spoilers on the room. <laughs> that- Actually, I didn't know the big twist. I didn't know spoilers for the room coming up. I didn't know he killed himself when I went to see the room. Right. Um, I discovered that as it happened. I was not surprised. I I didn't know anything about the plot of The Room. I just was like, Tommy Wiseau, Vanity Project, and that was sort of it. But it's a really dumb plot about his fiancé cheats on him with his best friend. Yeah. I think that doesn't quite cover what The Room is. The thing about Tommy Wiseau in The Room is that he says, this is my film, this is my life. That seems to be accurate. It seems to be his thesis on... Humanity. Mm. This is what humanity is like. It's weird. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you will be betrayed by younger, better-looking friends. Well, and- everybody betrays me, right, even yeah. when they're not doing anything. Like, t- uh, Greg moves out and he's going, everybody betrays me. Yeah. Um, he feels feels things like a toddler. Yes. And reacts to them in a similar way. He throws a tantrum. Mm. Um, and he doesn't have any kind of self-awareness or concept of other people's feelings. And the movie is very much – the room is very much like everybody is so terrible to Johnny, even jo- even though Johnny's such a wonderful person. But Johnny's not such a Johnny's wonderful person. Johnny's not a he's, wonderful – He's difficult. Like Tommy Wiseau, he's difficult and he's, you know, kind of sexist and weirdly self-obsessed right. and all that and sort of stuff. And they even have – the first scene he, he does, he's like, I didn't hit her. Like that's his, that's not his first scene. No, the first yeah. scene he films, and it's like that's um he's been accused of hitting her, but there's actually they actually show in the disaster artist a scene where he doesn't hit her, but he shoves her. Yeah, no, that's in like the movie. he's actually you see him being abusive towards yes. physically abusive. She, d- yes, that is after she starts sleeping with Mark. I mean, in the movie, she's portrayed as just a psychopath with no con- like no feeling of of what the consequences will mm. be for anybody else. I think June Diane Rayfield seems to be playing um, her best friend mm. who is sort of like, hey, don't you feel kind of bad about things that are happening? And she's like, nah, don't have any feelings about any of that. He'll never find out and everything will be fine. But it doesn't – there's no inconsistent internal logic, obviously. No. I mean, you've got those um, scenes with um, her mother um, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. She And, you know, she's obsessed with this concept because if you see this movie – she talks about how she has breast cancer and she's dying and it never comes up again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's a twist. It's a twist that happens a third of the way into the movie. And then, then they has never talk no about effect it of the ongoing movie. Yeah, it's it's crazy. 
and it makes it doesn't make any sense. Denny, the kid that Josh Hutchison plays, mm. they, they you know he's very much like we don't know how old he is. Well, it's very why, does, why is he just yeah walking into their apartment? What don't is his relationship to them? That never comes up. They oh, never tell boy. us. They, they talk about how. Johnny's like a father to him and Johnny got him an apartment, but then he's 18, but he acts like he's 12. Like there's, there's no kind it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, none of this makes sense within the movie, so it can't possibly be made to make sense in this. No, you know? but in this they do call that stuff out. Like it, Josh Hutchison comes in with the most fabulous hair, like mm. that wig maker spot on because his hair and then also James Franco's hair comes in with the most amazing 90s teen dream boy hair. And he's like, so how old am I? And Tommy's just like, oh, you know, your age, 15, 16. He's like, I'm 26. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it is, it's kind of, that stuff is kind of poking fun at Hollywood as well. Mm. But it, it's poking fun at Hollywood, but also the way that Tommy Wiseau doesn't know how this stuff works mm. and yet tries to do it anyway. Yes. With no kind of concept of how to do it. Like Seth Rogen's character essentially takes over direction of the film, mm. even though Tommy's supposed to be the director. And, and Seth Rogen's character is the script supervisor. The script supervisor. Well, yeah, um, that's funny because um, also Greg Sestero gets a credit in the movie for being the line editor or something like that. Oh, right. Uh, so he, but he also kind of takes over direction of the film a lot of the time. Mm. And then, yeah, there's that scene where he's being truly horrible to um, the girl who's playing his love interest, Lisa really really horrible to her and she's just kind of like no i'm okay it's all yeah, fine and, and that's a really interesting scene because you watch that in light of like all the stuff that's going on in hollywood at the moment with mm. um sexually harassing directors because he has this conversation about hitchcock at that point and hitchcock is has always been known to be awful yes. like an awful person to work with absolutely cruel to his actors and it turns out sexually abusive as well and they have this conversation. Then Paul Shear's character just runs into like he's like, "You can't embarrass this girl any longer. You mm. like, I'm not standing for this." Which is was like a really interesting like meta commentary. They could have known when they were making it that, that yeah. those stories would break. And like to be honest, there are stories around James Franco that are not exactly great around him hitting on like teenage fans and his Instagram mm. and stuff. So there's this whole meta level of that stuff going on while you watch that scene, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, what I found interesting about that scene is how much – I mean, this is very much about how Tommy Wiseau has sort of created a character around himself without fully understanding – That he's done it. That he's done it or what he's doing. But that is very much him trying to take on, like, in order to make great art, I now have to be horrible. Mm. But he's also excusing being horrible because he's cranky with Greg for moving out. Yeah, and he's um, making great art. Yeah, it's really – but he's – it's it's that – this is this is why that post credit scene, which we can now talk about, blew my mind, right? Mm. The thing about Tommy Wiseau is that he doesn't have self-awareness. Yes. he When he found out that everybody was laughing at his great dramatic piece, he said, I meant to make a comedy. He just, I mean, he does kind of adjust to things like a child would. So to watch him act opposite somebody doing a parody of him mm. or not it's not really a parody but it kind of is i think james franco's performance in, in, in this is amazing yeah oh, but i kept saying to myself oh it's dave franco and tommy Wiseau." yeah like constantly i was like tommy's talking and, to dave yeah i completely forgot that it was james franco uh, yeah and and we'll get into the dave, the dave franco bit in a minute but um so to watch tommy Wiseau play a role in this movie about him opposite a guy playing him 
as this kind of guy with no self-awareness and he's trying to act and definitely better than anything he does in the room. Mm -hmm. But he's still not good and it's strange. But he's also making fun of himself in that scene in a very meta way, which is obviously written by somebody else, but he had to know what was going on to be able to do it. And I want, yeah, and this is the thing, I wonder how they even got him in to do the scene. Oh, well, he that's the thing is that he wants to do all this. He goes to the screenings of the room. He knows that people are making fun of him, but he just wants to be loved. So he will do it because people love him now. Yeah, but I mean, even just this getting him on set long enough to actually but it seems I actually got the feeling from that scene that it was quite heavily improved mm. like he had a sketch of an idea of what was going to happen but James Franco basically led that scene by asking him questions yeah yeah and then like they have him at the end you know finished by saying hi whoever yeah that's the oh, trademark hi, whatever um yeah. yeah well that's a trademark he, I mean yeah he does say that so many times in the film um, the most famous one is the oh hi Mark moment, mm. but he does it every time somebody enters a scene. And Which is a classic like first time writer mistake where you when you like where you don't need to introduce dialogue the way in real life you when you like start talking to someone you like you have a whole lot of highs and yes and okay and oh let's do like little words that you don't need when you write a scene for a movie or a book and like you often see like amateur writers or early career writers add in these extra lines that you don't need. Yeah. And that he does, that's what he's done there. He does do a lot of that. I mean, I feel like I'm going into a critique of The Room as much as The Disaster Artist because we never actually talked about The Room on this podcast. No, because I didn't um, get to see, get to the screening. So, yeah. But The Room is really interesting as well because there's like every scene in The Room contributes to the plot. Almost every scene in The Room contributes to the plot. Except for those ones where he's playing football or running around with Mark, yeah, like outside in San Francisco, right? And mm. and you watch those scenes and you're like, what is this? Contrib-? Almost all the other scenes contribute to the plot of the film, such as it is. Which then I see this and find out what you know. Th- it makes that a is lot something. more sense. And you're like, oh my god! So the thing is, he actually wrote a movie. <sighs> such as it is, where all of the scenes contribute to the plot. Mm. Like, at least he's focused. Well, yeah, that, and that was really interesting because what the disaster artist tells us is that they basically shot the film. Then there was a big – the big death scene happened and he threw a massive tantrum and sacked everybody. And then he found this new crew. They went to San Francisco and shot these random football scenes and stuff mm. with Mark, which – well, Greg slash Mark, at which point Greg was extremely pissed off because – He'd, he'd obviously missed out on, like, work that would have really helped him and all this other stuff. And it doesn't actually add anything. Like, the bit that they shot with the professional crew actually is the best part of the film and the essence of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, well, but he, I mean, it took him that, three years to write. So, I mean, I hope he spent some time <laughs> editing it down and, and really thinking it through, taking some screenwriting classes and stuff. Yes, that's but that's the thing is that, yeah, I, it's really interesting to watch this movie about this person who really is talentless. Mm. Like he just is – he doesn't have talent except in creating well, disasters. Yeah, uh, the, the, well, the thing is though, if he had a level of self-awareness, his own like personality is such that he could actually have been quite an interesting like, I don't know, not performance artist, but like he could have – by playing himself, by doing the thing that Hollywood wanted him to do and playing the monsters and Dracula and – like he could have actually become someone who did like wacky cameos, like I don't know, Cheech and Chong or something, 
like just a weird comedy act. But he did. But he'd still have to have, yeah, he'd still have to have some sort of timing. <laughs> right. And he'd have to have more self awareness than he has. And then it's, if he had self awareness, he'd probably try, he'd probably get too good. And that's the thing that really does make terrible movies cult classics is earnestness. Mm. He really wanted to make a great movie out mm-hmm. of the room. Um, and a and serious it, dramatic movie about him as an American hero. But it's also important to note that nobody else in the room is good. The only other person who really – there's a couple of other people who kind of try. Mm. Um, there's a guy with kind of feathered hair in this movie that, like, I think was a comedian mm. that sort of tries to hit his lines. And then the mother yep. who really kind of was probably better than everybody else, but the character's horrendous mm. and then uh, jumps from one point to another. You should stay with him because he's secure and he does love you and all this other yeah. – it's very odd. <laughs> I'm sure that comes as a shock to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's the 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 thing that this movie doesn't quite address is that Greg Sestero is also terrible. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it, it, Wooden doesn't even begin to yeah. describe and how poor Dave he is Franco at acting. tries to sort of show a bit of that, but it's not he's also our protagonist. Right. And here's the thing about Dave Franco in this movie. Everybody else is really looks like and is really doing a an impression of the person they're playing, mm. right? Um, Ari Grainer was great casting as Juliet Danielle. She looks so much like her. Mm. So that's very believable. And James Franco has obviously put a lot of work into his um into his Tommy Wiseau. I mean yeah, he just is so much like amazing. Him. So then you see Dave Franco and he's Dave Franco. He's not trying to be Greg Sestero at all. Mm. They put some effort into the hair and that's it. There's nothing else about his performance. And you can see it as well. Um, in the end of the movie, they've decided to put on screen, side by side, the original film and the shot by shot remake that they yeah. made for this film, which is really interesting. But you can also see how much having people in with even a tiny bit of talent can change the original. Yeah. Because everybody is better. Every line reading is just better. Every little kind of reaction to something, they they act like they're feeling the things yeah, that that's in the to be feeling. Yeah, even though they're trying to act badly, so it's still better. Mm. Um, which is kind of one of the things about watching this movie. Just everything, like you you sort of watch this movie and go, "Oh, the room isn't that bad," but then you see it for real, and the costumes are just a little bit cleaner, and the hair is just a little Sets bit are just a little bit nicer. Yeah. yeah. At the original, it's actually quite good because he put money into it, right? Right, and he, he did hire, like, genuine cinematographers and, like, real Hollywood people to work on it. It's so funny because I watched the original movie and the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, why does he choose to look like that? Why is he choosing to wear oversized suits and mm. clothes that don't fit him? Like, even in the ni- early 2000s, this was not the fashion. Well, why I does d- he want to present himself like he's a hobo? <laughs> Well, uh, that's interesting, actually, because I was watching them, the bit where they dress in tuxes to go to the premiere, mm-hmm. and they're a bit big for them because the fashion for men's suits was a bit bigger back then. But also, you kind of get the idea that, like, particularly um, Greg Sestero, he's just rented it for the night or borrowed it from a friend or something. Mm. Yeah, it, it's um, it's a weird one. I was just, I'm just thinking about Dave Franco again. He has terrible hair in this. <laughs> like, I mean, it's the best – the best that they can do with his real hair to make it look like, like what he, Greg yeah, Sestero's who hair was kind of like blonde with frosted tips kind of thing. Yeah. Had that going on. Yeah, I know. I, I do understand. It was just that was the one that was the biggest sort of difference in appearance between the two. Um, right. And that's yeah. the thing is that, I mean, he he 
does quite a good job with the emotional thing, but they don't get somebody who looks like Greg Sestero. And there's always this knowledge that Dave and James are brothers. Yes. Just at the back of your brain. Well, and and they lean into that a bit too because, like, early on when they're first making friends in San Francisco, they actually go off – and to the James Dean crash site, and you're just like, well, this is another. We know this is another obsession of of James Franco's, but was also a genuine obsession of Tommy Wiseau's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he did bring that "You're tearing me apart" into his film mm. and tried to do his, his own take on James Dean. He's not James Dean. No, no, but it was an interesting meta sort of thing. Whereas um, James uh, Franco played, played James, James Dean, Dean in a telly movie and, and even looks like him, looks a bit like him, and also is considered a bit of a tortured genius. Yes. And James also Dean, good. I think to, I think James Dean would hate to be called a torture genius. To be oh, honest, no, I'm sure he, he would. was a um, bit of a, a sort of precious child who wanted, you know, peace and love for the world and kindness and all this sort of thing. It, yeah, it's interesting the the legacy that he's had as opposed to, which is a bit sad because like James Dean, the person, he seemed like heaps of fun, uh-huh. like. He's fun and very sweet. And beautiful and bohemian and interesting. What is it? There's a quote from him that is something like, it takes more strength to be kind and gentle than it does to be violent or something. I have a lunchbox with it on. He um, loved sort of delving into the, like, ideas around masculinity and stuff mm. like that and, and – And would play with that in these movies. I yeah, mean, and had he lived longer would have been a really – it would have been a really interesting advocate for um, what it means to be masculine. Right. And a lot of, he had quite a big influence on um, Rebel Without a Cause in that he would <laughs> um, ignore the director and also tell other people what to do quite a bit. And he uh, told. <laughs> Sounds um, like someone we know. What's his name? The the other guy in the movie. Sal. Salmoneo. To play it up like he had a crush on on the character, yeah. and both of them—I mean, Salmon was gay, and and James Dean was bi, so it was that he would kind of play into a lot of that stuff. I, and this movie, by the way, just, just coming back to the disaster artist for a second, really plays into the idea that Tommy has a crush on Greg, and that I didn't fully see that until I saw pictures of the real Greg, and I'm like, oh my god, he's really good looking, <laughs> and be, and also because they're played by brothers in the movie, so you don't. It's it's not even a crush. It's, it's like a it was it's it could be like a parental kind of thing. It could be that he's living vicariously through this person, but there no, is some I, it's a jealousy. There's jealousy, a jealousy relationship. It's, there. it's more like he sees. I think Greg is the reflection of what he believes he is. Yes, he thinks <laughs> that he is this all American hero. Greg is the all American hero, mm. right? So. He has this kind of crush on his projection of himself. Yes. Or his yeah, projection yeah. of what he wants to be that he sees in Greg. Yes. Yeah, th- so makes it's sense. not so much about Greg as a person. It's more about who Tommy sees as himself. Mm. And then when other people pay more attention to Greg than him, he's like, but I'm more interesting. I'm mm. the better Greg. Yeah, yeah. But th- there has to be some part of him that knows he isn't. Yeah, yeah. But there is a, there is also a part of that that's a, yeah. I think leans into the 
relationship there. Do you know who's great in this movie is Judd Apatow. He does a really oh, good job of acting really in his scene. Yeah, one small part playing like a big shot Hollywood producer. He's a genuinely good actor. I was really surprised. I was like, mm. oh, it's Judd Apatow. He's probably going to be average. And he was great. He was really good. Um, better than some of the actors, I mm. thought. Mm-hmm. We weren't. There's a very brief cameo from Sharon Stone where I was like, I do not know who that is. And she was terrible. Mm. You know who was really good, had a very small part, was Megan Mullally. Oh, yeah, um, great. There's a bit where like her 19-year-old son is running off to Hollywood with Tommy Wiseau and she hasn't actually seen Tommy yet, she, but she sees the car. <laughs> I cried laughing. She sees the car and she's like, he drives a Mercedes? What does he think he is? And then they're having this conversation and he, he's like, yes, I'm going. And, and she's like, who are you going? You're going with him. And she looks in the car and sees Tommy for the first time and with no words, you just – it all written on her face. It's not just that. She says, Wow. And I'm like, yes, that's she just, the she, reaction. She sees him and she's like, wow. Yeah. You're going, you're running off 600 miles away with him. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. And then she thinks he's a pedophile for a moment. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. This other all, stuff, all, you which see I get, all that I, go through her head. I mean, I there was a moment when um, Tommy picks Greg up and Greg's playing with some of the kids from the neighborhood. Mm. And you're like, oh, yeah, you can see Greg playing with kids from the neighborhood. I wouldn't let Tommy Wiseau within 100 feet of kids. No. But that's the thing is that he... Yeah, it's it's partly just this lack of self-awareness. He, and you can see through the Denny character, he doesn't know what kids are. No. <laughs> Again, it just feels like he's an alien. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> like, like arrived on this planet age 40 and he's like, yes, I am hot, young American. But he looks hunk. the same now as he did then. No, he, he looks a bit older. I would put a him little at bit, 55 but- now. Uh, but it's been 14 years since the movie. Right, I know. It's really hard to tell, but he looks in the – movie looks like 10 years older than James um, Franco is now. I nearly said James Dean. <laughs> um, no, no, James a lot Dean going on now here. would be like 90. But um, the accident thing, maybe he was younger and looked older or I don't know. Hard, yeah, that's the thing is that because his face doesn't match what his body looks like is one of no. the things for me. Like he, he doesn't because you do see him qu- naked quite a bit in the room. <laughs> and <laughs> Make sure they see my butt. Yes, <laughs> it's very accurate. Um but, yeah, you see him naked quite a bit and he doesn't – like, even his hands don't look old. Yeah, and if he's had an accident, that would explain the face. Yeah, exactly. So, you can't tell. You just can't tell. how, And he's, mm. he doesn't sound older, but you can't tell how old he is. It's very hard. Yeah, so he could be 35. Yes, exactly. I think he could I, be anything from 35 to 50. Yeah. Well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's re- It's very hard to tell how old he is. Mm. Or what he did to get all that money before he – because you said he's old money, but there's just – he. I didn't say that. No. Oh, who was I talking to? Uh, we said that last week in the last podcast about another character in another movie. No, no, I was definitely talking to somebody who was like he could have inherited a lot of money. Oh, right, from like his, his yeah. German family or whatever. Um, I Maybe – I don't think it was you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, somebody – I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, he could have inherited the money. And I'm like, but you can tell from who he is that he hasn't. No. Like he just – so, somehow he got lots of money. Yeah. And he, he I could like, be like, he could have been a spy. He could have been a drug dealer. Spies don't a make criminal. a lot of money. Drug no, de- well, like, I mean, a, some sort of like he could have been, international terrorist. I, I just, there's, the lack of self awareness, though, does actually lead me back to saying that he might have like inherited something from a family, like, and that got him started. Or I, it, it is a mystery, though, because it's that so lack of self awareness. And just, you would think if he were. <sighs> The kind of person who would was the self-made person who made lots of money, that he would have 
a lot more self-awareness about him. That right. there'd be something, something would slip through the cracks and you would see that, oh, this is a really smart guy who had a 10-year career as a, as a hedge fund manager and then decided to go to the movies, into the movies or yeah, something. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, I think the only explanation is criminal activity because he's mm. so secretive about it. Yeah, it must be. But then he, I'm maybe from New Orleans. He, maybe like. he comes from an Eastern European criminal family. Maybe he comes from Nazis who stole art and mm. sold it on the black market. Yeah. That actually makes kind of sense. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I have so many things yeah. that I want to discuss. We haven't even gotten into the cameos from the How Did This Get Made – or not cameos, they're roles. Roles. Yeah, from well, the How Did This Get Made podcast. Um, we've talked about it before, but all three of the main hosts, mm. um, June Diane Rayfield, Paul Shea, and Jason Manzoukas, are in this movie in proper roles. Yeah, and like it's their – podcast that put you onto the room i think their episode about it it's i mean it's been known i knew about years. it before that but they did an episode years back and mm. they're doing a disaster artist episode which we will listen to after we've done this but what's hilarious about that and this is the thing i wanted i've been holding back on from the car and everything they use their own catchphrases from the podcast in this movie I did wonder that because at one point, June Diane Raphael's character at lunch gives her her theory of the movie. Yeah. I'm like, she's done that on a podcast before. When she says, I've got a theory and you heard people in the audience laugh. I recognize. I know that move. Yeah. That that was really obvious that she'd said that on the show before and then she got to say it in the movie. Right. But it's something that she is. very meta. That's the thing that she's famous for on the podcast is she will say, I have a theory or like Jason Manzoukas, he doesn't say the most famous thing that he says, but he says a few of the things and when well i i hate he says something like i hate this when he's in the cinema yeah which is something that he says a lot um and then there's one that paul Shear does as well but they they use their catchphrases from the podcast in this movie Mm. which is a whole other level of meta because their whole thing is just making fun of bad movies yes but paul Shear, i think has the most substantial actual role in this as well yeah yeah, he does great I mean, that's mm. that's the kind of role that he's. It's a good perfect. It's, yeah, for. no, that's the kind of role Paul Shear plays in other things. Like yeah. that's a Paul Shear type role. They are all really good, and there's all these other like people who are in the kind of Apatow slash Hollywood West Coast comedians world are all in. In fact, it opens um, before the actual movie starts with Kristen, um, Kristen Bell. Bell and Kevin Adam Smith, Scott, Adam Scott, JJ Abrams, all speaking as themselves about the room. Um, They're all very much connected. The movie is full of cameos from actors who um, there's somebody – oh, um, Melanie Griffiths is in the beginning yeah, of the yep, movie as early well. Yeah, on, yep. Um, like and then they reference Marnie later uh, – sorry, the birds later on. Yeah. Um, every kind of minor role is full of people who mm. are famous and especially comedians who obviously love the room mm. because they're aiming for that level of comedy. Yes, like that level of, you know, non-pretentious comedy. Uh, or well, non- and also these, yeah, that's right. These comedians often, and it's the group of comedians who often do that awkward stuff as well. And then Alison Brie is in it and she's married to Dave Franco, but she's also in this world of comedians through community and stuff. That's right. She is married to him. I forgot that. And I was like, she's an odd choice for the love interest because well, she, she looks too looks- shiny to be a, a bartender. Oh, no, but she also looks older than him and she is older than him. Probably. Um, um, he, well, he would be 30 at least. I think Alison Brie is older than him. Right. Um, okay. But she, to me, especially in that pool scene where she's not wearing a lot of makeup. Yeah. Because he's playing like 19 in this. Well, he's playing between 19 and 25. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she just looked like she was 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's- which isn't bad. It's just true. The age that, yeah. 
they actually are. So well, she looked 30, so she's probably like 36. I think Alison Brie is older than we think she is. And she is. She's actually born the same year as me, so she's 34. At the moment, we'll be 35 okay. very soon. I don't know. He just looked younger. Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't what bothered me. She just, it didn't her hair bother me. Was it like, was just something that I noticed. I, I'm totally obsessed with the hair in this movie. I do apologize, but her hair is like too thick and shiny and nice to be someone who's just like working at a bar. You should be obsessed with the hair in this because it's so interesting, though. It is. And especially, this is one of the things about the room that gets me when I watch it. Well, got me when I watched it is that Tommy Wiseau doesn't look like everybody else. Everybody else kind of looks like they're in a soap opera. Yeah, that 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 and that kind of level of actors too. And it, well, not even. I mean, it, they're bad. Soap operas <laughs> at least have got like all this emotional kind of like over emotional. Yeah. They they don't. They're flat. It's very flat. Especially Lisa is just. She really struggles. <laughs> the, actually, the best acting, the best bit where Ari Grainer played her playing Lisa mm. was um, the crying when uh, after the the um, after Zac Efron's bully drug dealer guy threatens josh hutchison wait zach efron is in this movie yeah you know the crazy guy who kept punching the wall that was zach efron yeah he's at the p- premiere as well and he sits next to um talk about people who've had so much surgery i can't recognize them i did not pick zach efron in this movie i think yeah he he's beefed up so much too he doesn't look the same did he have was he wearing like the brown contacts the first time you see him it's also very hard to tell who he is because he's got um well, yeah because he's wearing a hat and stuff but i figured i would recognize him at the premiere and i was like i don't know who that is was he wearing like brown contacts no it's just dark he just looked really different really um, different he's sitting next to um the nerdy looking glasses guy who by the way yeah, in the movie those is two a psychologist flirting, those two are definitely flirting with each other it's yeah. very cute the psychologist guy <laughs> who like is in the movie they they mention that he's a psychologist a bunch of times right. and then Tommy goes, Don't psychoanalyze me. <laughs> There's so much. There's so much going on. They didn't even this movie didn't even address some things like the misogyny. Um it's no, sort of in it's one really scene, skims over but that. it kind of Yeah, it does skim over that. But the uh spoons, which is the which famous thing. Is, I didn't I, they didn't mention the spoons, so I still don't know what the spoons are about. So what happened was they they had a bunch of picture frames on set, but they had no pictures in them. Right. Um, and then they were like, oh, crap, we don't have pictures. So they got a bunch of pictures of spoons printed and put them in the picture frames on the set. Right. So, yeah, there's a bunch of pictures of spoons just sitting around the set. So whenever people see them, they throw them. I mean, obviously right. the set is one room. Like there's yeah, very yeah. little other than the room that we see. The, one of the most famous scenes takes place outside of it when he goes into that store. Yeah, yeah. And he does the um, – and, and Seth Rogen goes, who doesn't recognize that guy? It's funny because you watch this movie and they're – actively commenting a lot of on a lot of things that people will say about the room when they watch it well that's i've also felt like that like seth rogan has maybe said this stuff on a podcast somewhere it wouldn't surprise me but everybody says that yeah when they watch this movie how would you remember this guy yeah exactly and she goes oh hi johnny i didn't know it was you and you're like how can you not know i mean he's wearing a suit that's three times too big for him he's got hair that comes down black hair that comes down past his shoulders and he has a face like that where's a utility belt like, how can you – but but then, like, a Greg, you definitely might forget a Greg. Like, yeah. I just didn't notice Zac Efron was in this movie. He looks di- – he's he's so much beefier and he's filled out so much from when he was in, like – Yeah, but he doesn't look like he did on um, – on, Yeah, but he doesn't even look like he did on Baywatch. Did you see Baywatch? No, but I 
follow The Rock very closely, so I've seen lots of pictures. It's hard because he doesn't look the same in motion now that he right. as he used to. Like he's really filled out. It's not a good look for him, in my opinion. But my opinion doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, he used to be really cute. I didn't actually. It's, think I, this actor I, is see, cute. I don't think it's. The, and in um, fact, I was like, oh, they've gone for a gay love interest for the one with glasses. That's sweet. See, I don't think it's a plastic surgery thing. I think it's a um, steroids. Oh yeah, thing. he's got steroid jaw. Yeah, mm. but. Um, not the point. Well, no, it, but not the point. But also, Hollywood is awful to um, its male actors as well as its women in that respect. But yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the how did this get made, guys? Again, oh, I really love that podcast a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even. I don't actually listen to it very much. But the steroids thing is common knowledge now. No, I was just thinking about how they don't. I mean, how they don't look like people in movies. They look like regular people. Yeah, mm. which made them really good for this. But Man- actually, Jason Manzukis is in a lot of stuff at the right. moment. Right. Jason Manzukis is like a self-aware Tommy. Like he's got this – he mm. does the whole big hair crazy guy thing, but he's very self-aware of what he's doing. And, in fact, this film – But he's he also plays, funny and talented and has ti- well, comic timing. Well, yeah, but, and in this film he actually tones all that down to mm. play like the rental the, – the camera rental guy. Yeah. So, Are you kidding? They would have been thrilled to be in this in yeah, any yeah. – Part. Well, I mean, it, almost as exciting as when he got to be in Gilmore Girls, which gets referenced in this because yes. Greg tried out for the um, oh, the, and then they threw shade at Jared Padalecki, which is hilarious. When they say he's better looking, yeah, than- Alison Brie's like, oh yeah, you're definitely better looking than him, but she's his girlfriend. I know, but it's still the like, Brian the line is still in there. Oh, the Brian Cranston cameo, my god, that was. I mean, that I had to be a real moment, right? Right, and oh my god, you just. Sitting there going, you idiot, Greg. Like, of course you go and do the cameo in Malcolm in the Middle, but at the time, you know, you, that's a big moment and it has to happen that way. But also you're just like, oh, my God. That's hard, though, because Greg, for all of whatever's going on with him, is a really loyal friend mm-hmm. to somebody who has given him a lot. Like, No, I get it. I understand. <laughs> and And also he asks, like, last minute for two days off this film, which is already running over schedule and – they need to have like, but I mean, yeah. and again, Tommy should have given him that. Oh yeah, but that's the thing is that Greg is this kind of loyal person, and Tommy is not self-aware enough to know that what he's doing is really cruel. Mm-hmm. I don't think he understands. I mean, I just don't think he understands that a lot of the stuff that he does is cruel to others. I think, in fact, in the movie The Room, he is Lisa in that he just doesn't understand that the things that he do- he doesn't care that the things that he does affect others because he's too too self too wrapped up in how it affects mm. himself and he really yeah. does have the understanding and of the world of a i'd say 8 year old yeah and and greg really does you do see him struggle with that because he's like well this guy gave me a place to live he brought mm. me down to LA he is the reason i was able to get started but then there's all this stuff tied in with power right yeah. like money is power and Tommy, Tommy has, has all this power that he can just wield over other people. He can buy out this store that Hannibal Buress and Jason Manzoukas own. And he can. He forces the people to make things, the movie, in a certain way that he wants it because he says it. So, yeah. He, and that- he, the design of those movie posters is like a very clear Tommy Wiseau just stood over the shoulder of some graphic designer and said, no, do this. Yeah. That Seth Rogen scene that he's not in speaks volumes as well. The Seth Rogen scene where he goes to the bank. Yeah, yeah. And he checks the um, – he banks Tries the check and he the check. cashes yeah. the check and he's like, I don't think this is going to go through and it does. Yeah. And it's that power that he has over everybody that he just has the money to make people's dreams come true yeah. but he doesn't have the talent. Yeah. He's and not good enough. All of this comes down to Tommy Wiseau is a person 
who thinks he can do everything but is just not good enough. And even a smidgen of self-awareness could bring all of that into line. But, like, he can't act. He puts himself out there, and that's the kind of push-pull between Tommy and Greg, right, is that Mm. Greg holds back all the time. Who knows? Maybe Greg Sestero could be a good actor if he didn't hold back. I don't know, but he's pretty terrible. That's one of his many – like, there's more than that, just that problem going on there. He's wooden and dreadful. But uh, there's that kind of – that's the kind of dichotomy, especially in this movie. Now, you know, movies don't always reflect real life, but the dichotomy is that Greg – holds back and Tommy puts everything out there mm. but Tommy has no self-awareness and Greg has too much and then Tommy has no control self-control self-control either. yeah when he goes up to Joe Dapatow in that restaurant everybody in the movie is just going don't do that watching the movie is going don't do that the feeling like for me that scene where they watch the movie at the premiere mm. is like like I couldn't breathe for the whole scene right yeah, like very I don't get anxiety at most of the things that you've kind of had anxiety with in movies, but like watching people have those feelings while watching themselves be humiliated on screen, even for Tommy a little bit, but especially for Juliet. Oh, um, she, that actress, Lisa, does that role, does that so well. Yeah, Um, Ari Grainer. Ari Grainer. She, that, she looks so much like the girl who plays Lisa too. But that, her, she really shines in that scene. That better whole bras, <laughs> bras, bra technology is much better now than it is in two thousand. Was in two thousand and three. Let me tell you. Mm. But she, that scene is like she shines in that whole thing all the way from at the start where she's like, oh, I'm overdressed because she's worn like a yeah. proper ball gown, and you know she's embarrassed. Oh, is this still going on? Oh my god, this is so embarrassing. And, she gets and then to she do it all with June Day and Raphael, who's like kind yeah. of bouncing off her, and and then by the end she's just kind of getting into it with everybody else and just laughing yeah. along with it. And that's a really great journey to watch. Mm. She's really good. I'm really glad that they gave Juliet Danielle some like redemption, um, respect. Yeah, in this redemption, yeah. But it's it's more than that. It's like they really treat her with dignity because the mo- the room doesn't. No, and they are. It's so it, horrible to her. And it deliberately also shows a scene where Tommy is horrible to her as a director. Yeah, but we don't. We also like Ari Grainer doesn't get naked for this movie. Like no. she is naked a lot in the room, so it's really kind of it gives back a lot of dignity that the room right. Took from where her. the only person who gets naked in this is James Franco, and then that whole scene where he's oh, just, it's so good, so good. And the character Greg, but Dave Franco is trying to keep him under control and get him out of the way of everybody else. And you get that that double dynamic of like mm. you can imagine at some point. Dave Franco has had to be the one who's dealt with his stupid naked brother who's mm. just in everybody's way and being a, a big um, diva. But that's the thing is James Franco is very aware of that about himself. Yes, he is. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why this performance is so amazing. Like, I just – I mean, Dave Franco's fine, but he's Dave Franco. James Franco mm-hmm. is Tommy Wiseau. He completely channels this other character and yeah. he – but not just channels him but brings him more – pathos than Tommy was always ever shown in his life. <laughs> no, it does. It it gives it really humanizes him. He does an and amazing he, job. And he does it while like holding one of his eyes mostly closed so that he looks like Tommy Wiseau. Like just mm. he's so good in this. And under like heavy prosthetics and all the rest of it. Yeah, he he really uh, I mean impressive. Plus he's directing. And he's directing, uh, yeah. And that's the thing is that this is as much a passion project for him as the room was for Tommy Wiseau. And but the room is, it's such a kind of 
yeah, it, the 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 disaster artist has so much self awareness, mm. and it's as much a critique on Hollywood, yeah, filmmaking and being creative, and the like dream the movie factory. we saw last week, uh, yeah, and that dream factory idea as well, where most of us, no matter where we live, have at some point kind of gone. All I'd have to do is this, this, and this, and if I could get this much money, I could make my own. Movie. Like everybody does that, right? Everybody wants to do that, mm. and they kind of interrogate that a bit. The montage when he's writing the script as well, <laughs> and, and that concept oh my God. as well that like when you do it all yourself, it's all yours, and all of the blame and all of the creativity and all of the any rewards and any blame fall on you. Yeah, and the funny thing is that. Dave Franco actually, his character actually says to him, you did this all by yourself. Mm. And he didn't. He clearly didn't do this all by himself. Like the filmmaking remains a team sport. It has to. The, uh, the idea of the auteur and the vision and all that is one thing, but it did actually take a whole bunch of people to realise his vision. But nobody else wrote that script with him. No. The no. terrible, terrible script with him. Nobody else. Yeah, a lot of people put their effort and their work into making it, but all of it comes from his own twisted, weird alien worldview. Well, I keep coming back to that. Like the whole – the fact that he is basically emotionally a toddler, it does actually lend credence to the idea that his money was not really earned. Like the idea that the personality when nobody's ever really said no to him. Just, I still just think it's criminal. Yeah. I'm not saying criminals still pass on their money. Yeah, they do. But I, I just, yeah. to me, especially his secrecy it's about it. It's definitely dodgy and it's definitely, I'd say, some kind of criminal. And, I mean, he's Eastern European. It could be any kind of smuggling or But also the way he or, expects, like, he can just throw his money around and nobody will question anything. Mm. It seems very criminal to me. True, but it also that is also the behaviour of somebody who's never had anybody say no to them, who's never had their whims not indulged or never not been able to spend money. He, he must be self-aware of it on some level because he says to Greg several times, don't ask me, don't talk about it. And he also is concerned about status symbols like driving a Mercedes. Like his apartments are relatively uh, modest, but he's he has a go at Greg for being poor and like he wants he to does, drive but a car. I, yeah, that seems like an unself-aware thing too. Yeah, it, it's it's money's a weird not one. an issue. Yeah, it's it's to me. May, I don't know. Maybe he's like a mob, like well, that's what I mean, legacy like, criminal. Yeah, that's what but I mean, like some seems, kind of Russian mob, yeah. like inheritance or something. It still seems definitely criminal to the extent oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that he like for he, sure he and, doesn't want people to talk about it. And like because there and there are also other aspects to that. Like, how does he get a work visa? How is he working legally in America? And like, he's all that clearly sort of changed his name. So, like, maybe whatever name he was under before is something pretty famous. And maybe he did get, maybe he got a bunch of plastic mm. surgery to not look the same. And he yeah, just well, blames it on a car accident so that people don't question it. I don't know. Yeah, this <laughs> is the really thing. It's like, a wonderful mystery. It's so, I could, yeah, I, this, I could literally talk about the room and Tommy was over hours. It's like, it's such a bizarre. Uh, and, and, but it all comes down to these feelings of like, toxic masculinity and and you know you try and try to love women the way that they want and they're bitches um like i I said that a lot when i was watching the room i was like oh yeah women be bitches because it's just so lisa's Mm. such a bonkers character Mm. right like she doesn't make any sense yeah and to to watch the things she does in this movie like and then um I don't know if it's June Diane Rayfield, but the, her best friend in the movie just kind of goes, what are you doing over and over again? And keeps questioning it. And her 
logic and reasoning changes from scene to scene, which is <laughs> which, and such a Tommy Wiseau thing. The mother does the same. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 both of them just kind of shift to whatever narrative is so convenient. Technically, the room passes the Bechdel test. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it straight up does. This movie does too, which is interesting. I mean, I think the fact that Jindai Merrifield is in it probably has something to do with that. She's very um, outspoken about those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, it does pass the Bechdel test. The the mother, but the the mother likes Tommy more than she likes her own kid. Yeah, Johnny. The character's name is Johnny. <laughs> I had so much trouble because the characters' names are like Johnny, Mark, Peter, S- Stephen. I don't right, know. they're boring names. Right, yeah. like the all American names that jo- that yeah. Tommy. I mean, Tommy was always clearly a made up name too. Yeah, well, but Wizzo is like also does sound a bit foreign. Like it, yes, a Wizzo was your last name, or Wizzo, or however he says it. That you know, that kind of gives a European flavor to I'm it. I'm saying Wizzo because that's what he says at the beginning of well, the yeah, movie. Well, yeah, that's why I say. Well, sorry, Wizzo was how I thought it was said because that's how I just thought it was said that way. And I then, always thought it was Wizzo because it's just. There's something – I mean, it just sounds more yeah. odd, which, which seems how to, other people in the movie say it, but not him. So. Yeah. I think it's it's also because it just sounds a little more like who he is. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I feel like I, could, I have a lot more that's going on with this movie that I want to talk about. There's so many layers to it. So many layers yeah. to it. It is this film that's very much about being creative and about wanting to be loved for your work. Yeah but it's not good. And like, you know, how much is too much of rejection? Like how much rejection tells you, no, you're not good at this. But this- Whereas uh, as opposed to how much rejection says, you know, you're a visionary that's just not understood. Uh, and there's, well, there are legitimate questions about that because yeah. the gate, the barrier to entry into Hollywood is so high. And who says, like who decides that? And mm. When there is, you know, when you have money to push those barriers out of the way, you get the Tommy Wiseau's of the world to come in. But, like, he's clearly not worthy of entry. So, there's a reason we have barriers to entry. But the barriers to entry. <laughs> and neither is Greg, to be honest. No. and But then the barriers to entry are still leaving out other people who've got vision like Tommy who may want to do the same thing or who – but who may be better. Like, it, it's, it's sort of saying that the – Entry to into Hollywood is actually quite arbitrary and has a lot to do with luck and money and being in the of right place. Of course, it does, and that and, and you see that in the Brian Cranston scene. And that's just a completely fundamental, like what. And then, of course, that's what comes back full circle to what you said at the start about this is everyone who's in this movie's worst fear mm. is that they didn't don't deserve to be here. That they got lucky because they met Brian Cranston in a coffee shop or something, and he got them a role on something. Well, and that's the thing. What are Amber's? Um, goals she's not an actress right mm. what are her what well, does she a, want out of life well she's a bartender and then she ends up moving to austin so i don't know what what does she want why is she so you know i mean she's reduced to no- a nothing role in this supportive girlfriend role like what are her kind of ambitions and dreams you could have honestly what does Juliet want like what's her I mean, she's a very poor actor. I mean, the Juliet really? makes a lot more sense to me. The like young, pretty blonde girl who just wants to get a role in a movie that I can understand. I, a bartender I, who doesn't actually want to be an actress and is living in LA. I don't. I, I my brain can't compute. I also want to point out that the Ari Grainer is sort of more petite. Like she's even still big for Hollywood standards, and she's still kind of smaller than the, than Juliet. So like, there's got to be some kind of like 
sizeism and oh, like, that yeah, kind fat of fat discrimination. But she's well. also really, really, really terrible. And they all they talk about in the movie is how beautiful she is. She's so beautiful. Yeah. And obviously Tommy thought room. she was good looking because he cast her. But yes. Yeah. But by um, Hollywood standards, she's not. Right. So that's that probably has something. But she's I I just thought she was so interesting in the movie. And I think mm-hmm. Ari Greener really helped with that. Um but she's so like willing to do whatever and up for everything, but that doesn't come through in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Like and and it's because this is written from the point of view of Greg Sestero, you wonder how much of that on-set energy, you know, how that affects what comes out because there's none, there's no energy in the room. Mm. It's so strange. And and Tommy Wiseau is like as presented at the beginning of the movie is just all energy. Mm. Like he is explosive. He's terrible. But, but he's energy. But he is energy. He, and his his Stella screaming just Stella and climbing up well, things and throwing himself around. He forces um he forces Greg to go to a restaurant and do a scene with him. Like that that kind of stuff is that that sort of stuff should lend you lend you to being better at acting. Um, the Casey Wilson scene where he interviews <laughs> and he tries to do an American accent. Oh, and he just boy. doesn't pronounce his s's. Well, you just can't understand what he's saying. No. I did think that occasionally James Franco's performance was a little too garbled. Like I can always understand what Tommy was always saying, right? Um, but it's relatively minor. But yeah, that that he tries to lose the accent and he just kind of you just becomes even more incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, but it's not just him that makes the room bad, right? Is my point. Like she's bad. She's uh, even when she's acting opposite everybody, she's bad. Yeah. Greg Sestero is bad at acting the kid who plays denny doesn't know what he's doing which i think is fair enough but he really kind of comes across as like why am i here Mm. you know that they're all terrible everybody is terrible so like is that an energy on set thing because the energy on set seems like maybe it shouldn't have been that like she juliet's trying to give it her all in this movie they give her that dignity but she's so bad in that movie so, like, where, how did that happen? You know, blaming it all on Tommy is not accurate to what the f- final product is. Well, no. I mean, and Greg Sestero's own self awareness seems to be lacking in that he doesn't crit, he doesn't engage with how bad an actor he is in this movie mm. to a certain extent. No, he it kind I mean, of skated does. over. Like, you do see it. You do see that Dave Franco's performances aren't good. But mm. at the same time, you, it's kind of skated over because it's all from his perspective. Yeah, they, they, he doesn't fully – the movie doesn't fully engage with the fact that these people aren't aren't talented. No. I mean, Tommy bears some responsibility as the – you know, he cast them and he directed them. Mm. But, I mean, you can only you – And he wrote the bad lines. That's true. But you, you can only, you know, direct someone so much. Right. Um, and look at this movie with Jackie Weaver. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jackie Weaver does more with that part in in much less time than the the, the woman in the original manages mm. to do. Like she and, and she's given a bit an interesting bit of dignity as well. Like you know, she drives in from her house in the suburbs every day, and she's just because a, one day on set as an actor is better than one than at one a day anywhere else. Any day, and, and she has one of the best lines in the movie. I know that really gets to the heart of what the movie is. You know, yeah. like uh, she's so good. Yeah, but um, she's too good. Yeah, for <laughs> everybody's that part. just too good. You know, they too they care too much. <laughs> um, oh, it's odd. It's so such a good movie. <laughs> 
like the really, disaster artist. The disaster is, yes. artist is such an interesting, good movie, and to watch the room and the disaster artist and really see how all of this comes together and see, you know, it gets to the heart of what we do as well as like critiquing movies mm. and looking at things and wondering why does this fall apart when this works? Yeah. You know, why is this such a terrible movie when that works? What yeah, what are the ingredients that you need to to make it work? The the scene where he where Tommy throws on a bunch of clothes and Charlene says that they don't none of them match and you're like, but nothing he wears ever matches. That probably didn't cross your mind, I don't know, because like you haven't seen the room. But in the room, nothing he wears ever looks good. No, and no, and nothing he wears in this movie ever really looks good either. But I think at that point, it's still early enough in the movie that Charlene Yee's character is still thinking that she's doing the job of a professional wardrobe mistress and actually trying to make her actors look good. Yeah, but it's funny because he's so bad. And, like, but that's and his first so... scene as well as an actor and all the other yeah. scenes have been with other actors and so the other actors have just like put on whatever clothes she told True. them to put on. But, yeah, he just throws on whatever and puts a bunch of stuff in his pockets and goes on set. And that scene is so good. It's shot perfectly there's no music to cut through the tension of will he actually manage to get his line out it's so tense and funny oh yeah but because by the time he we watch it three or four times and then the next time we the whole crew says the line for him and we could all do it too yeah and that's yeah it's so tense and hilarious but like it calls us out for laughing at tommy as well Mm -hmm. there's so much in this i think if you miss it you're missing out on yeah. what movies are and why we watch them. Mm. Yeah, um, this is this year's great movie about movies. It is this year's great movie about movies, but it's also a great kind of – I don't know if anybody's ever engaged with the concept of bad movies like this movie does. Mm. Like nobody's ever engaged with the concept of what it takes to be uh, – who you are to be a truly terrible filmmaker like this. Mm. I mean, Ed Wood. I think is the only other one that kind of comes close. Yeah. And Edward sort of engages with his personal life a lot more. It's much more from Ed's perspective. Yeah. This is not from Ed's perspective and it doesn't engage with his personal life and it's like a glimpse at what it's like to be with somebody who makes bad movies rather than to be that person. Mm, what it's like to be on that set. Mm. But, yeah, Ed, uh, this is, I think the closest comparison for this movie is Edward, huh. um, which is also a very great movie, mm-hmm. like truly great movie. Whatever you can say about, you know, the filmmakers and the stars since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful movie. Um, and this does sort of a similar thing. And with a similar kind of pathos and sympathy for the – I think having that sympathy for the person who wants to make something great and believes that they're making something great and isn't. Mm. But that's that's why this – that's why it works. And But that's why – I mean, that's what you're looking for in these gems of bad movies. Yeah. And you, it is kind of – there's a cruelty to the humour, but it's just you can't stop watching it. But you also feel like you could be laughing at yourself just as easily. Yeah, that's right. So should we, should we wrap up, give um, marks? Um, I don't know. I probably have had too much wine, but I'm like, mm, give it five stars. I don't know because I don't know how you could – I don't know how you could make this movie any other way than the way that it was made. Yeah, yeah. Even with the casting of Dave Franco, because he doesn't look like Greg and he isn't, but having that layer of the two brothers speaks to Hollywood and the insider nature of Hollywood. You know, it's yeah. it's like this is a movie that I think will go down as like a classic. Mm. So I'm going to say five stars. Yep. I'm going to go with 
four. I really did love it, but I think probably that evens us out at around four and a half, which is probably where it lands. Mm. No other reason than I just really liked it and that's my mark for movies that I really like. I do think – I feel like this is a movie that's a classic. I felt like that when I was watching it even, that it's just something that like speaks so much to – what Hollywood is, that it's a movie that will be referenced for a long time. Plus the way that they shoot it is really interesting. The way that the scenes that aren't on set are shot like a film. Yeah. But the scenes that are on set are shot like a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Like the camera follows each person and it feels like you're there. Yeah. Um, even at the premiere, it feels like you're there once you go into the yeah. cinema, whereas outside it, it's a movie again. Mm. And there's that extra level of like awareness where they're making a movie, but then they're, they're in the movie. Yeah. It's a really clever movie. It really is. It's genius. Um, yes. So thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find the show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on social media, we are at screen underscore queens on Twitter, uh, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens on Facebook and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.